Welcome to Elevate, a podcast from JPA Health. At Elevate, JPA industry experts with over 50 years of experience in public affairs will share best practices and innovative ideas to influence the changing health landscape. Every episode, JPA will explore issues and trends impacting the intersection of policy, business, and society in health. We can't wait to share the tips and tricks that your organization can execute to manage the outside and inside game to elevate your interests. Welcome, everybody, to the third episode of JPA Health's Elevate podcast, where the public affairs team talks about different issues that are consuming some of the public affairs dialogue in Washington, D.C. Today, we're going to talk about a topic we've tried to address actually three times on this podcast. This is our our third attempt at uh, addressing the topic of prescription drug pricing. The first two times, each time we recorded it, something happened, and then it was too much to try to stitch them all together. So here we are in the third time. Uh, So with Democrats controlling the White House and Congress, expectations are high that action on drug pricing will take place in the current Congress. Uh, President Biden ran on uh, taking action on drug pricing, as did former President Trump. Um, The Democrats have made uh, lowering drug costs a key plank of the the party. And, you know, I think it's a really good time to have this conversation. Traditionally, with uh, the Democrats in control, we would expect there to be movement on drug pricing. Uh, and a fiercer resistance from the Republicans. But President Trump departed from that traditional Republican positioning and talked about giving Medicare the authority to negotiate on drug prices. And, you know, while the rhetoric probably exceeded what their national policy proposals were, a surprising number of Republican elected officials followed President Trump lead and committed to tackling drug prices. And so it's a very volatile uh, environment right now, I think, for pharmaceutical companies. And so I'm joined by my colleagues, Adjua and Ryan, as always on this uh, podcast. With that, we want to begin with a, a simple question. And I'll, I'll ask it, then Adjua, you can answer, and then we'll have Ryan. What's your best sense? Will we see a sustained push for comprehensive drug pricing legislation like HR3 in, in this Congress? Or has pharma success in developing multiple COVID vaccines made it temporarily bulletproof? Well, I rarely like to give Republicans any credit on anything. However, um, I have a little bit of more hope that something on drug pricing reform might happen based off of the House Republicans just about a week or so ago in a hearing putting forth their own ideas. Isn't that something? on drug pricing reform and suggesting um, uh, sort of maybe a less, uh, an approach that might be um, easier to digest for the industry um, with their own proposal. I think it's called um, Lower Cost, More Cures Act, which is also aimed at lowering drug pricing costs in Medicare and Medicaid with, you know, not necessarily new or innovative ideas, but um, suggesting an out-of-pocket cap on Part D costs and rebates 
uh, for seniors primarily. And um, uh, we know that Democrats have really been all in, if you will, on H3 and that pharma, the trade association came out, you know, swinging um, like Mike Tyson um, in an Evander Holyfield fight on H3 with their own ad blitz in across the beltway. So we, so we know what that fight is going to look like, right? So I do think that what's new lately um, post-Trump is the Republicans joining in and saying, hey, guys, we're willing to work in a bipartisan way to come to some sort of um, solution. All right. So that's a yes from Adjoa. A long-winded way of saying yes. <laughs> and, and oh, but no, it's good context as well. Ryan, same question to you. Uh, will we see success or a sustained push on drug pricing this year, this Congress, from our elected officials? What's your best guess? I'm going to start out by saying no, but here is why I think no. Um, I think HR3 is a no-go. I won't say it's... You know, I won't go as far to say it's a non-starter because it is actually the starter of this conversation, at least in this Congress. Um, but it's a non-viable option to, to tackle the drug pricing issue. Uh, industry has drawn their battle lines. As, as we've mentioned, they're poised to break another record in lobbying spending. Uh, they spent over $92 million in Q1 of last year. Recent reporting says they'll do more or they'll break that record uh, this quarter and subsequent quarters. Um, and just a quick word about that timeline. I think if Congress is truly going to get something done by the end of the year, and I say they need to get something done by the end of the year because come January next year, it's election season, baby, and nobody's doing anything. Um, so really, both parties have to struggle. If the Republicans are going to want to take the House, they're going to have to move a healthcare bill, in my opinion. Um, and if Democrats want to go in on the up and up and have, you know, a solid defense, especially on the healthcare front, then they should try and tackle something uh, to be able to provide cover, especially for members, you know, vulnerable members in the House. Um, you know, I think the vaccine issue sort of has a temporary shielding effect for the industry uh, right now. And I think the whole intellectual property issue, especially in terms of global access to countries still lagging the vaccine capabilities, um, that'll resurface later, I think, once the political winds shift back to the standard bludgeoning of industry, right? But the best way for Congress to tackle the drug pricing is to take on a standalone approach. Um, Congress is inherently lazy, which is obviously different than the intended design of trying to gain consensus in legislation. Um, but I think if this is going to happen in Congress, which again, I say it's not, then both parties are going to have to start by telling the American people that they're going to tackle the drug pricing issue, especially at the time when Americans are going to seek out more care, right? We've seen a contraction in, in healthcare that's non-COVID related during, during the pandemic. That's going to be an uptick healthcare in general, especially, you know, just routine care is going to take a, a you know, forefront of the, be in the forefront of the American people's mind. So, you know, I think a standalone 
legislation just on drug pricing that is bipartisan. Uh, I, you know, I think the Republicans can probably take the backseat on this one and give Joe Biden the, the brokering position like he's seeming to do on infrastructure. Um, you know, I think it's good policy and it's good politics. Um, when the iron is hot, I think is the real question. So, uh, you know, what's the peril in all of that approach? Um, and this is where I think it won't happen because this is what I think we see um, so frequently with a lot of these important kitchen table issues, we call them, is that the fringes of either party will get in the way from the messaging standpoint. And I think we'll talk a little bit how you would shield from that later if you're going to do a campaign. We can get to that later. But if it's not a purity test from the left and if it uh, you know, doesn't strike the, the right tone on the right, um, of that right populist tone, um, then I don't think it goes anywhere. Well, that's a qualified no, then. Most likely not. But there is a, a pathway for potentially something. Right. I, yeah, well, so... Can I hop in here? Um, of course. I just want to react to the Ryan's assessment of the fringe um, for a second. Do you honestly feel that the... Which fringe is controlling which party at this point? Because... I maybe I just have a lot of confidence in, and give a, a lot of credit to Nancy Pelosi, particularly with a Biden White House, who we've seen so far um, isn't afraid to say what's unpopular with the fringe left. And um, he's just sort of, you know, it's that old Irish Scranton attitude of take it or leave it. He just told us get the ma- vaccine or wear the mask or else, <laughs> uh, you know, I haven't seen um, the so-called far left in, in, at least on the House side, showed much teeth on anything so far. Um, so I, I feel that um, we are seeing a potential where I don't think that they're going to control this debate too much, which should give some room for industry to try to do something, like you said, that looks good politically, that is good policy-wise, um, that they can digest. Because at the end of the day, this is still a top issue for voters. So Ryan, a quick answer to that. So which, which party is being controlled by their fringe? Well, I would say both. I mean, from the left, I think HR3 is sort of a a lefty's wish list. You know, Um, it's got a lot of stuff in there. It's got a lot of nice sounding stuff, lots of stuff to message on as a former Capitol Hill communicator, as as Ajwa is. Um, That's great stuff for me to message on, but I don't think it's it's practical. Um, I think the recent fights within the GOP totally uh, signal trouble Um, on the horizon in terms of who is going to control what. But that's why I think both of the fringes sort of control the messaging play. Uh, So it could be good policy on the Hill and the inner workings and Pelosi could totally have a a tamp down on things. But when it comes to getting out there and getting in front of the bill and building that support, that's going to be necessary because let's face it, legislation should be painful for everybody. Uh, no one should be getting 100% of what they want. That's how the system is designed. So, you know, if no one can stomach the pain points, then nothing is going to get done. And I think the fringe is what 
gets into that mess? I tend to come down in the same place that you do, Ryan. I mean, it was, I don't think HR3 has a chance. I don't think it's going to move forward. There was a letter from 10 conservative, well, they call themselves moderate Democrats, uh, last week, I think, you know, representing the bio cluster in Massachusetts, New Jersey's uh, pharma industry, San Diego, California area, all saying, you know, we can't go along with HR3. So she's going to need to, if, if they hold in a block, she's going to need to pick up, you know, a few Republicans here and there probably. And I don't know that that's going to happen, quite honestly. I, I think if anything gets done, it's not this year. It's next year, early in, when they come back, where they do need a win. Everybody needs a win on drug pricing. And I think that's when you see something um, get done so that everybody can go home and say, yeah, we did something on drug pricing. And it may be simple, simply the, what you talked about, Adjua, some version of the, the Republican plan, which I, I think is the one that limits the cost increases to basically the rate of inflation and, and taxes and affect any pharmaceutical company that raises their prices over that. So my sense is that is how it would be done. It would be a standalone bill. Um, and I could see, you know, I could see a standalone bill that does that Republicans getting behind that as uh, for a couple of reasons. One is what they don't want to do is they don't want to force negotiations or give Medicare the right to negotiate with drug companies and then see those savings go to an infrastructure package or to an expansion of Medicare or something else. I think if you came back and said, this is going to save Medicare $20 billion over the next 10 years. And we said, well, we'll put it to deficit reductions. The Republicans would be like, okay, that makes sense. We need to do that. And so maybe if you were clever in the way you went about it, you could get them on board for something like that. But I don't think, um, giving Medicare the right to negotiate with drug companies and then seeing that money go towards a, a $1.8 trillion infrastructure is something we'll ever see Republicans get behind. Thoughts, well, questions? I, I mean, I don't know. I think Biden's trying to make things as simple as possible. You've seen that what he's calling his bills. We have the American Rescue Plan, the American Jobs Plan, the American Families Plan. He's making it very simple and he's going for these jumbo packages because he realizes that he has a ton of political capital right now to do things that are not going to get picked apart by anyone that are paying attention to the details on the other side. Okay, the other side to him is still focused on, oh, I don't know, I think Dr. Seuss or... <laughs> Whatever. No, that was, so that was, that was, <laughs> that was, that was, I'm late. I'm sorry. I'm not keeping up. So he has the opportunity now to get some big stuff done. Because as you all see now in modern politics, by year two, you're already losing ground. Um, and Republicans have set their sights on taking back uh, the House uh, in 2022. And uh, are, you know, coming aggressively on that. So I, I don't know how much longer he'll wait. I do think um, as to what the Senate does and how strong, I guess, Mitch McConnell will be on pushing back on these big jumbo bills, we will see. Um, but if, if I was on the, if, if 
the Biden White House is to get this done quickly as much as possible so that he can focus on what, really, what he really cares about, which is, you know, getting this, this jobs plan and this infrastructure bill out so that they can spend the rest of next year campaigning on that. You know, we create so jobs here great, and there. It's a great segue, Adwa. So if, let's think about it. If you were if you were running the communications effort and the communication strategy for a, you know, a consumer oriented group that wanted to enact, you know, drug pricing reform, what's the strategy? How do you go about doing it? Well, it, it would be to support the white house and the, and Pelosi on whatever they come up with. Right, because ultimately, it will be Pelosi who comes with um, something that her caucus can get behind. Enough of her caucus can get behind, um, and then you know she will have in mind of sending something to the Senate that her counterparts can at least get enough votes on as well. That's not going to put, as you mentioned. Uh, certain vulnerable Democrats who are in districts where they, there's a lot of um, pharma money and pharma's providing a lot of jobs um, in, in trouble. So whether they will do that is another thing. But I, so far, like I said, there hasn't been no evidence that this uh, so-called um, progressive or far-left um, caucus um, in, 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 in Congress has any power to stop uh, anything. How do you gain traction for that the messaging right now and whatever tactics you need to do to reinforce that, that we should at this point, you know, enact drug pricing reform for an industry that just has helped pull us out of a pandemic within a year, a little more than a year, you know, has developed multiple um, vaccines for it without slowing down on their development of all the other great things that they're doing, right? New treatments and therapies for cancer and for rare diseases. How do you go about that? Where's the weakness of the industry right now? Personally, you know, I, I really feel that pharma should have, should have conducted a nationwide victory lap with this vaccine rollout, the success of the vaccine rollout to say, this is how we did it. Um, this is all the innovation that we've been talking about. This is what happens when we have a partner in government that works with us and gives us the flexibilities, gives us the support, um, reduces the barriers that gives us the ability to expand market access in an extremely short time period, efficiently too. Like my goodness, I had my uh, Moderna and they should pay me for this endorsement, but Moderna vaccine and I felt pretty darn wonderful. Um, uh, you know, very little symptoms. I was shocked, to be honest. Uh, I think we were all looking at how quickly the vaccines have been developed and there was some concerns. Well, wow. Can they, how were they able to um, create a response to a novel uh, virus so quickly? Well, let's look at that. How were they able to explain that to the American people? And then maybe when you're explaining why 
uh, certain regulations or issues are going to negatively impact your ability to do that and repeat that, um, there would be more understanding of it rather than the what has been the response for decades, which is this is just a cop out to have you know high high drug prices. Ryan, what the same question to you? If you're you know tomorrow the phone rang and as an agency we represent both patient advocacy groups and pharma companies, and it was a patient advocacy group saying. Uh, we really want to push the drug pricing reform issue. What's the strategy? How do you enact it? How do you move the conversation forward? How do you provide that cover for elected officials that want to do this? As someone who has worked in both the House and the Senate, I'll say the House is totally way more fun, but the Senate, I think, is where things really get done. Um, And so if I was a a group, I would um, cherry pick four or five components from previous or existing Senate legislation that targets drug pricing specifically. I would attempt to convene all of those senators, you know, and their staff and say, this is the approach, right? Almost like we want to create a a new gang of eight um, or something to that effect, right? Because to Adjua's point, Biden seems to be favoring these big comprehensive bills with all kinds of stuff in it. And what Republicans have a problem with and what the media ultimately latches onto is that there's so much other non-germane stuff in these massive plans. And then the messaging gets thrown, thrown off the rails. So, but at the same time, Biden also likes to sit down with his former you know, Senate colleagues, it's, he's a creature of the Senate. That's where he comes from. He understands the process, the relationships, all of that. If you can get various components from, from a mixture of senators that address drug pricing specifically, get them together into a package and have, you know, that package go to the president and say, listen, here's a bipartisan go you know, piece of legislation to address drug pricing. It has wins in there for both sides. Uh, You know, obviously this is going to have to go through the House, but we want it to originate here in the Senate um, because we can actually think it can get past this uh, and we can avoid some of the unruly politics of the House. Um, To Adjua's point, I think that allows Pelosi to whip the votes to where everyone will fall in and each side can go their separate ways with an American, you know, win for the American people and, and a few messaging points on either side heading into the election, the midterm elections. But I think that's the way you have to do it as an industry group. Okay, what does that take? Because that's like a pie in the sky kind of, you know, idea. Um, you know, I think what it really takes is a group is going to have to say, listen, this is our specific policy prescription. Too often groups are saying, well, we'd like to see Congress do something like this, that it's very nebulous. It's never defined. Everybody is so afraid to get very prescriptive in their, in their policy uh, remedies. And I think that's a bad strategy. Pick what you know will positively affect the industry that will do the most good for the least amount of money, put it into a bill and start messaging the heck out of it. Once they see that you've put something out there for people to chew on, I think a lot of the other pieces start to coalesce around that. We've talked about this briefly in our own conversations. And so 
you know, just my sense on this is I do think it needs to be a, a standalone bill, probably originating in the Senate, but I think, and I think you probably see the administration doing this already, uh, trying to take some shine off of the industry. Uh, certainly the global IP issue and relaxing the IP standards so that other countries could produce the vaccine was a way I immediately pharma rejected it. Um, and, you know, so did other countries as well, but, you know, you could say, well, yes, uh, pharma stands to make $26 billion or Pfizer alone estimates they're gonna make $26 billion on the, the vaccine this year. It's a lot of money. I certainly don't begrudge it to them, but you know, for a person out and the average people out there saying, well, that's certainly a lot of money. Um, they're not willing to reduce their standards uh, or release the IP even temporarily on the vaccine to help people in other countries. That just makes them seem like the typical pharma, greedy pharma industry. And then I'd find some examples of where people are still struggling to pay their medic medication for their medication. And I'd find some examples of those $250,000 therapies that are now being released. Now, there's two ways to look at that. You know, those therapies are potentially curative and durable, and maybe people with one or two courses of that therapy will be cured, but it's still a lot of money. I still, it's a shocking number. And so I think if I, it was up to me and I needed to, to you know, combat this victory lap that Adjua thinks they should take, and I think we all think farmers should uh, take. Um, I would, you know, kind of, it's interesting to see, are we watching the playbook unfold from the administration right now when they, when they raise this IP issue and um, what's next? Are we finding going to, you know, are industry groups, not industry groups, but patient advocacy groups going to start bringing up the cost of specific therapies that are, you know, still out of reach for a lot of people. And that way, I think you start to you bring pharma down from this this plateau that it's on right now because of their work on the vaccine. And I think that's what you need to do. And you need to bring those stories to light. And, and if that's, you know, you're the, if you're pharma, I think that's what you need to work against and you need to continue to find out uh, those stories that combat that. Yeah. Uh, just jumping in that, um, if I'm a communication strategist I'm in the pharma industry, either at the trade association or one of the big companies, um, you should have either already started your focus groups and surveying of how this waiver fight um, is being perceived by the public um, if you haven't already. Uh, but this is going to be an early test as to just how much that favor the farm industry generated has lent itself to real um, decisions and, and that need to be made moving forward. That would be informative for the ensuing drug pricing fight, for sure. And uh, I would also say that it, it also looks like um, the CSR efforts were not robust enough <laughs> on the pharma side, right? You could have just completely avoided this image issue with a robust CSR effort across the world, talking about vaccine equity before anybody else did um, to ensure that when this comes up, people are like, well, they already are, they already are um, doing a lot 
to make sure that um, there's equitable vaccine distribution across the world. You don't let, you know, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle steal that kind of spotlight from you with a, a concert with J-Lo and <laughs> President Biden appearing saying, hey, there should be vaccine distribution. You know, you've already lost the messaging fight um, when, it, when you get it to that level. And certainly you knew that concert was coming, right? So um, not, to, not to say all is lost, but um, certainly I think seeing um, how that this, this goes and even testing some messaging um, in response would be a good idea. And I do think um, reevaluating the relationships you have with patient advocates and the patient community to say, okay, um, you've, been, you've been asking of this for a while now. Here are the proposals that are not new. Here's what we think and what we can potentially live with. I keep saying that, um, which means, you know, providing a little bit of a give, even when you are ahead. That's often the best time to, to give a little bit when you're ahead, because then you have the ability to use um, your positive brand as leverage, you know, when instead of waiting till you've been hit across the head a few times, and then now you have to concede a lot more. So it would be a perfect time to reevaluate your stakeholder relationships, your, your grass tops relationships, um, testing a few messaging um, to see uh, where there could be a win at the end of the day for, for the industry. Let me ask you uh, each, because we're going to come up on time here soon, but thinking about this and a short answer and Ryan, you go first. Is the, are the IP issue and the global concert related? Were they coordinated? Are they the first salvos in a, a larger war to um, start taking the shine off the pharmaceutical industry? No, I think that that is too sophisticated. Maybe from the, from the industry standpoint, they, they had a, you know, sort of small benefit, I think, in the here and now. But I, I don't think that, or I think it gives too much credence to the sophistication um, of, of our politics today and of our, of our operatives. Um, uh, mm, uh, <laughs> Andrew, let me ask, what do you think? Same question. Quick answer. Are they, are they connected? Are they, were they coordinated? Well, listen, uh, maybe I would have given that answer that Ryan just gave if I didn't see or read, because I, apparently I've become a Meghan Markle fan. Uh, that she's met with Procter and Gamble and like 20 CEOs of major Fortune 500 companies um, after that to talk about next steps. And now when you Google Procter and Gamble and the vaccine, they're rolling out their CSR efforts <laughs> in relation to, yeah. to all this. So to me, um, it suggests that uh, some parts of the industry anyway have decided, you know, to carve out their role in this. And again, if pharma is not leading those discussions, then that's probably a bad thing. I, 
I wonder, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that they were coordinated. You know, this is a, a very disciplined White House and administration with a lot of connections to stars and to Hollywood. And they're only staffed by very capable people from the Obama administration in terms of selling policy. And they've only been, it's not like they lost their game in the last four years, right? They, were, they, ran, a, they ran a presidential campaign. So I don't know. Uh, I, maybe I, I think see, maybe I see conspiracies around every corner, but uh, I think it it might be the first le- and if, uh, first efforts. And if I was pharma, I I would do some of the things that Agile was talking about because they got to find some new tactics, new ways to stay in this fight because they don't have as many allies as they used to. And you know, it, without those traditional allies in such a close fifty fifty political environment things could be very tough for them. Yeah, I think uh, we should revisit this if legislation comes about um, soon on this, right? And however that evolves, I think that'll sort of prove me right or prove me wrong. Um, But what we're talking about is that traditional transcendence of politics to policy. I think it was good politics that they did all of this hubbub with the stars and and all of this stuff. And Democrats are always good at that. Um, but does that translate into actual wins for the American people? Track record is less, uh, less proven. So we'll have to wait and see. Actually, that's probably a good place to leave this conversation. You know, this is our, our third F attempt at it. And <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. But we can revisit it in the next maybe once a month, every couple of months, and see uh, how our predictions are playing out. How does that work for everybody? Sounds great to me. Agile, you you down down for revisiting this conversation every so often? Yes, because I already have new thoughts. So (laughs) I'll table them to next time. Subscribe, you know, make sure that you're, you get the notification when we drop those new thoughts.